Hi, everyone. Welcome to Worship Online. Happy Mother's Day for those to whom that greeting applies. If you're watching and you've been only watching online since most churches are watching online during this COVID-19 season, you might be thinking, why is he wearing a suit? Well, the truth is I wear a suit on uh, two weekends every year, Mother's Day weekend and Father's Day weekend. I started the tradition of wearing a suit on Mother's Day to honor my wife, Nancy, and my mother, Ruth Marshall, many, many years ago. This is my 31st year of celebrating Mother's Day without my mom. Mother's Day is one of those holidays that can be both uh, very joyful but also extremely sad. I'm, I'm joyful because my mom was a tremendous woman of God and she showed us how to live the way we ought to in following Jesus. And Nancy, my wife, is one of the best examples I've known of, of a woman who not only is a wonderful mother but also uh, speaks the truth and love in her life. But at the same time, even after all these years, it's so hard to think of another Mother's Day without my mom to celebrate. In our first 10 years of married life, Nancy and I weren't able to have children, so every year when Mother's Day came around, it was a reminder once again of what we didn't have. And we lost our first child to a miscarriage, so that Mother's Day was a really difficult one for us. So Mother's Day can be an emotional roller coaster for us. It can be a a very high time when we do celebrate the joy of of having our mothers in our life, or it can be a low time of unfulfilled dreams or a sense of loss, and and I understand that. Having lived through 63 Mother's Days and having the 18th Mother's Day be the one when I preached my very first message at Gypsy Christian Church in Gypsy, Pennsylvania, uh, Mother's Day holds great significance. It's appropriate that this weekend we turn to our fifth core value in our Experiencing New Life series, and that core value is we trust the Bible. And why would I connect the Bible and Mother's Day? Well, because long before Mother's Day existed, the Apostle Paul reminded Timothy, his son in the faith, of the connection between God's Word and Timothy's own mother and grandmother. We read about it in 2 Timothy 1, verses 5 to 7. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. During these challenging times, we do well to remember that God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. But Paul introduced that powerful reminder to Timothy by reminding him of the foundation of his faith. That foundation was laid on, on his mother and his grandmother who had taught him the ways of God. My own mom, Ruth Marshall, loved the Lord so deeply And she was the first one who ever taught me what it meant to know Jesus and what it meant to serve him. She served in so many ways in our home church in Gypsy, as well as in the community at large. She showed us how important it is to put all our trust in Jesus. My mom's mom, Lita Gromley, also held a deep and abiding faith in Jesus, which she passed on to me. Timothy had also learned the important truth of having a mother and a grandmother on which his faith rested. Now, I know that's not true for everyone. I know that some of you might not even know who your mother was. Some of you don't remember your mother. Others, and, and I, I'm glad that it's very few, but others have had mothers who are 
actually antagonistic to the faith in God and pretty much did everything they could to keep you from it. And you have to live with those memories for the rest of your life. But here's the point. A good mother introduces her children to Jesus and his truth from the earliest moments. A good mother introduces her children to Jesus and his truth from the earliest moments. I don't remember a time when my mom wasn't talking about Jesus or doing something that pointed toward him. Timothy had that kind of heritage, and Paul wanted him to remember it. It was the foundation on which Timothy's life of loving and serving Jesus was built. And because of that firm foundation and because of the spiritual gifts he had received, Timothy could now live fearlessly in God's power, love, and self-discipline. So as we turn specifically to look at our fifth, true, fifth core value as a church, we trust the Bible. Let's look at our take-home point. That's the one point that I'll be making in the message that we want to live out in the week ahead. Here it is. God gave us the Bible to lead us to himself. Now, I know you're at home or maybe you're at work. Wherever you are, I want you to say with me aloud right now that take-home point. God gave us the Bible to lead us to himself. Before the days of GPS, all of us used maps to get us to a place where we didn't know where we were going. Nancy actually still enjoys using a map. She doesn't really like listening to that, that little voice coming out of the cell phone. But a map shows us our point of origination, and then it guides us to our destination. And that's why God gave us the Bible. It is a unique and amazing collection of 66 books written by several dozen authors over a span of several thousand years that leads us to the very same destination, and that is to the God of the universe. In this day, when many people don't believe in truth, the Bible stands as an affirmation, not only that the truth exists, but that we find it in these pages. Notice our fifth core value is we trust the Bible. It doesn't say we worship the Bible. Because the Bible, although it never leads us to fail in any area of our faith and practice, the Bible isn't God. God is the one we worship. God is the one who created the Bible through human intervention. And so we could say that God is the map maker, and certainly the map maker is greater than the map. So let's turn to that map right now. We turn once again to the Apostle Paul's second letter to Timothy to see what he had to say about Scripture before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and love. We thank you that you have given us a map so we can navigate through life. And God, we thank you today for the word we're about to hear about the truth of Scripture and how it leads us and guides us and corrects us, equips us and prepares us to do your will. We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that as we read these words, and reflect on them, that you will draw us closer to yourself and bring us more into alignment with your will and purpose, that we might come closer to that destination of being in your presence each and every moment of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul wrote, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you can know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people 
to do every good work. So in those brief words of instruction to Timothy, Paul gave us several important truths. First, he said, remain faithful to the things you have been taught. Remain faithful to the things you have been taught. Paul is leading up to telling Timothy how important the truth of Scripture is. But before he does that, he says Timothy needs to be faithful to the things that he's been taught. Those things would have included the words of Scripture, the instructions of his mother and his grandmother, and even the instructions of Paul. Paul wanted Timothy to remember what he had been taught and to put it into practice. When we put what we know from Scripture into practice, we are exercising faith. As I say here quite often at New Life, information minus application is just information. But information plus application equals transformation. Timothy hadn't just received information from his mother Eunice, from his grandmother Lois, and from his mentor Paul. He had watched their lives. Indeed, that's the second point Paul makes. He said, you know you can trust those who taught you. How important that statement is. It's so vital. Timothy had, a, had the great blessing of having both a mother and a grandmother who not only taught Timothy the words of Scripture, but they lived them out. Paul wasn't just a professor of scriptural theology. He lived out. He practiced his faith consistently. You know, Paul talks so much about how our faith in Jesus Christ is a gift. We receive it by grace through faith. And yet, Paul's life offered a consistent pattern of daily living out of the faith he professed. I had that same kind of model in my life through my mom, Ruth Marshall. And Nancy, my wife, has been one of the most consistent models of living the truth and love of Jesus that I've known. Here at New Life, we have an expression. We call it the three B's. Belong, believe, behave. And what that means is if you have a pulse... You belong here with us at New Life. You don't have to believe any particular thing. You don't have to behave a certain way. Jesus loved us just as we were, so we love you just as you are. Now, having said that, we hope that if you join us in fellowship here at New Life, when that becomes permitted and possible, that you will see how we live out what we say we believe. You will hear what we believe. You will see how we behave. And our prayer is that you will move from belonging with us to believing what we believe, and then ultimately that those beliefs will change your behavior so that you'll become more and more like Jesus. This series is intended to help you know what we believe. These seven core biblical values are the summarization of what we believe as a church. We've already looked at the first five beliefs, the first five core values. They are we follow Jesus, we love each other, we care for the lost, we engage in worship, and we trust the Bible. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the final two, which are we live in the Spirit and we give generously. Those seven core values are printed in beautiful signs out in the worship center. I'm pointing out to the worship center, to the gathering area of the worship center. But if all they are is words hanging on signs, they don't really mean anything. You would have no reason to believe them if they were just on a sign in a a gathering area. You, You would only have an idea that you should believe them If you see somebody else doing it, and that's what Paul was saying to Timothy, he said, you must remain faithful to what you've been taught because you can trust those who taught you because they have lived out those teachings. They have behaved according to their beliefs. 
None of us live out those beliefs apart from Jesus' presence in our lives and in the empowering action of the Holy Spirit. But Paul assumed that the presence and power of the Holy Spirit was in Timothy's life. He said so because Paul received the gift of the Holy Spirit when Paul laid hands on him when Timothy believed. That led him to the third truth that Paul tells Timothy. All Scripture is inspired by God. Look at that statement. All Scripture is inspired by God. What a powerful belief statement that is. When I was a freshman in college, my roommate Dean didn't believe in Jesus. He had never been exposed to the Bible, so he didn't even really know what he didn't believe. I convinced him to read the Gospel of Mark, which is the shortest account of Jesus' life, teachings, death, and resurrection that we find in the Bible. So he read through that every evening. uh, He would lie in his bed and he would read the Gospel of Mark. And when he finished it, he went on and started reading through the Gospel of Luke. And one night he was reading his Bible, the Bible that I had given him. And he laid it down on his chest and he looked over at me and he said, Chris, if you believe this stuff, it would change your life. If you believe this stuff, it would change your life. I looked at Dean and smiled and I said, yeah, that's the point. Belong, believe, behave. If you believe this stuff, the stuff that Paul told Timothy was inspired by the God of the universe, it will change your life. Because if you believe the Bible and act on that belief, then your life is going to be filled with the life of Jesus. You're going to have a new life. Jesus called it being born again. And the Holy Spirit will start working in your life. And that's all that's necessary to change you, to change me, to change our community, to change our county, our state, our nation, and the world. That's how powerful trusting the Bible is. When I was a first-year student at Princeton Seminary 39 years ago, I learned a definition of faith that has stayed with me all these years. Here it is. Faith is an informed trust, not a nice gullibility. Faith is an informed trust, not a nice gullibility. Many people think Christians are gullible, and frankly, Many Christians are gullible. They take an approach to the Bible that says, God wrote it, I believe it, that settles it. At best, that's an arrogant statement. If God wrote it, that settles it. It doesn't really matter what you or I believe about it. What I love about the Bible is a six-year-old who can read, can pick it up, and can understand that God loves them, can understand the fearsome power of God, and can understand what it means to be saved, to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. And yet a 66-year-old can never plumb the depths of all the meaning and truth found in Scripture. As a student at Princeton Seminary, I was introduced to the historical critical method of studying the Bible. Basically, it's a process that looks at the Bible through the historical context in which it was written, the perspective of the various authors, the various genre of writing, whether it's poetry or narrative or list and so on. Through the method, one sees contradictions in the Bible. On Easter weekend, I mentioned that there are many differences in the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many angels were there? Which women was it that went to the tomb? And who actually saw Jesus first? The details differ in the four gospel accounts. So that's where the historical critical method says those are contradictions. We, we discover through that method um, that these contradictions exist. And some work their way through this process and they come out on the other side believing that the Bible is simply a collection of stories and legends made up by human beings. Others like me 
come out on the other side of that kind of investigation with a deeper and stronger faith. After all, faith is an informed trust. So studying the Bible deeply only deepens the information available on which to make that informed commitment and trust. The question is, is all Scripture inspired by God? Historical criticism can't answer that question because it's a matter of faith. My study and experience points me in the direction of saying yes, because, by faith, because what faith is is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The author of the Hebrews tells us that. So faith is not 100% certain. If, if we were 100% certain, we wouldn't need faith. But faith transforms us because it moves us closer and closer to God. We trust the Bible here at New Life because it does lead us to God. No matter where you begin, it will lead you to Him. Perhaps I ought to say no matter where you begin, it can lead you to him, Because after all, information minus application is just information. We have to apply the information in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be changed and transformed, so that we can be drawn closer to God. Paul told Timothy that there is a purpose for all Scripture. It's not only inspired by God, but it's inspired for a reason. And here is the purpose. It is useful to teach us what is true. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The Bible is a Swiss army knife when it comes to faith. I mean, the Bible literally gives us hundreds of different ways to be prepared and equipped to live out our faith in Jesus Christ, to do every good work. I've never read a passage of the Bible and then walked away and said, well, that didn't help me. Every time I read the Bible, it gives me some point of information that if I apply it in my life, will transform me from the inside out, will start to change me in the direction of God. Some would say that the scripture Paul talked about was only the Old Testament. And that is true as far as the statement goes. But here's the thing. The New Testament wasn't written when Paul wrote the words of all scripture being inspired by God. But all Scripture is inspired by God, and if the New Testament is inspired by God, which we believe it is, then it too is Scripture. And even Peter in his letters talks about Paul's writings as Scripture because he saw them to be inspired by God. Now, people would probably rather argue about whether all Scripture includes the Old Testament or the Old Testament and the New Testament or just the New Testament rather than actually do what Paul said we need to do. Let us correct the things in our lives that are wrong, affirm the truth that's in us, move us in the direction of God, prepare and equip us for every good work. To paraphrase G.K. Chesterton, the Bible hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Now, what Chesterton actually said is the Christian faith or the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. I am so grateful that, the, that God has given us the Bible to trust so we can gain or grow in our faith. The longer I live, the more certain I am that reading and living the truth found in the Bible is the antidote for nearly everything that's wrong in our world. But the challenge when reading and living out the truth found in the Bible is we will never submit to it until we submit first to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I did that nearly 51 years ago, and yet I face the same daily challenge that every one of us faces. Will I submit 
to Jesus' lordship in my life today? If the core truths that we discern from the Bible are these, we follow Jesus, we love each other, we care for the lost, we engage in worship, we trust the Bible, we live in the Spirit, and we give generously, then we're only going to live those things out today when Jesus' lordship in our lives is the first reality of our lives. During this season of COVID-19, many of us have had more time to reflect on these truths than usual. Without the distraction of busy after-school schedules or visiting friends and family or even for some of us going to work, all of which are good things, we've been left to think about what is most important in our lives. My prayer is when things return to normal, you know, whatever normal means, that we won't forget to focus and reflect on what is truly the most important reality of our life, a relationship with the living God of the universe through Jesus Christ. I I pray that we will remember that all Scripture is inspired by God and then that we will let it affirm us when we're doing what He wants and correct us when we're not and to prepare and equip us for every good work. My roommate Dean hit on a powerful and profound truth when he said, if you believe this stuff, it will change your life. For it to change us, we must read it and then believe it And then let Jesus work in and through us by the Holy Spirit's power. And as we do that, everything changes. And that's the plan. The plan has never changed. That's been God's plan since the beginning. It's up to us to live out the plan. So here's this week's next step. It's going to give us an opportunity to get started or to continue living out God's plan. I will read the Bible every day this week and live out what I learn. I will read the Bible every day this week and live out what I learn. It takes both reading and living. In reading the Bible, we learn what God's will is. And then living out the Bible, doing what we have learned, puts us into God's will. We are living out God's will. And not only that, as we read the Bible and live out God's will, we actually, as we're going about our daily lives, we actually become a living Bible for others to see. And in that way, We can lead others. We can be the map for others so that they can see Jesus, so that they can see the God of the universe, so that they can see the life they're intended to have, and they can walk toward Jesus as well. We can be the guide that they can use because we have been guided by the truth of the Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we trust the Bible because You use it to draw us to yourself. Today, God, we pray that we will read your word diligently and daily. We pray, God, that once we've read it, that we will allow you to change us from the inside out, that you will correct us when we're wrong, that you will affirm the things that are right, that you will guide and equip us for every good work. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to do that in our lives. And God, I pray right now for any who are listening today who have never trusted you through your son Jesus, who have never, maybe even like my roommate Dean, never even read the Bible. God, I pray today that they will turn their lives over to you, that they will put you in charge, that they will start using the map to guide their daily lives. And for all of us who have already done that, God, give us a a new measure of your Holy Spirit that we might have a new passion and desire to trust your word, the Bible, so that we can live it out 
so that others can be drawn to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.